0: Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Rock and roll pioneers Jay and the Americans rock Ram's Head in Annapolis, Maryland next Thursday, August 25th. I spoke to founding member Sandy Dean about hits like Come a Little Bit Closer, which was introduced to a new generation in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. He also discusses how the band helped to launch other artists from Neil Diamond to Steely Dan.
1: My name is Sandy Dean, and I'm one of Jay and the Americans.
0: Hey, thanks so much for joining us, Sandy. Hey, it's a pleasure. We, we love coming
1: to your area. Well, first of all, we've played there several times, but, you know, we travel a lot. And some towns are just cooler than others. And Annapolis is a really cool little town. You know, it's quaint, but it's, it's, uh, it's got a lot of nice places. The place we play, the Rams Head, is pretty famous within our community of performers. Everybody enjoys playing there. The food is great. The place is intimate. The audience gets an up-close chance to kind of be with you and see you and we get a chance to be up close and personal with the audience. We yeah. like that.
0: It is a really cool spot. Do you ever get to do any, you know, eat Maryland crabs or any of the, you know? the, the Oh yeah. <laughs> we're,
1: we're, well, we're, we're East Coast guys, so we're big seafood eaters and we sure. love coming to, to your area for that.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, you mentioned that you're East Coast guys and you've you've been with them from the very beginning. So tell me tell me about how Jay and the Americans formed, you know, where where was it? I started in Brooklyn. OK, we all grew up in Brooklyn and in Brooklyn.
1: There were three things that you did. You either played ball, sang or got into trouble. <laughs> and we did all three. So <laughs> we uh. You know, we, we, we had a lot of friends that had groups and we all used to kind of compete with each other on the street corners and in schoolyards and in bathrooms and in storefronts. Uh, it was one of the things that you did, you know, it was a rite of passage and growing up. And there were so many different groups on, on the street corners and we would have contests and we would always go home feeling a little bit, well, those guys were better than us. And we would go and work harder to be better than them the next time. But it was, it was just a, a fun experience. We all listened to the radio. We all saved our allowance to go buy 45s, you know, and, and, and listen to the music on the radio, on AM radio. And then we would practice those songs on the streets ourselves, see how close we could come to uh, duplicating what they were doing at the time and we kind of developed our own style. And we, we had, uh, I had a group in high school. I moved away from Brooklyn to Queens to Rockaway and formed a group. And out of that group, a couple of us reformed a different group that became Jay and the Americans.
0: Gotcha, yeah, and it was near, I mean, when you, you mentioned the Rockaway, which is right near Bell Harbor. And weren't you originally called yeah. the Harbor Lights?
1: yeah that was the first group that we got a record
0: deal with that was myself uh kenny
1: rosenberg who was kenny vance and the planet Tones, and uh my girlfriend sydell who went to high school with me and we were the harbor lights we got a record deal cousin brucey played it on the air we won the contest for the uh the new record and we were the local heroes in rockaway but then we got tired wanted an all guys group. So we formed a group which later became Jay and the Americans.
0: And, and the, J, the J was John Jay trainer at first, right? Correct. But then there was another Jay Black. So explain how the, there was the two J's. So in case, sorry, maybe our younger listeners don't realize there was actually two well, different J's. the
1: first, first J, when we, we auditioned with our guys group, um, they wanted to name us Binky Jones and the Americans. <laughs> and Jay didn't want to be called Binky Jones. And we thought the name was ridiculous. So we got them to let them call us Jay because that was a name that we could live with. Um, we, We auditioned for two guys named Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller. Very famous record producer, songwriter guys. They wrote Hound Dog, they wrote Kansas City, they wrote Ruby Baby. Oh yeah. They wrote all of the Drifters hits pretty much all the coasters hits and we were thrilled to be with them. And by being with them, we kind of learned how to make
0: records because they
1: were making hits all over
0: the place. Lieber and Stoller you're saying?
1: Yeah. They were, they were just hit record producers. They were the first independent record producers in the business. And uh, it was before Motown. Oh yeah. So they had all of these hit records and we were thrust into the middle of all of these, major artists and hit songwriters. So we kind of were the new kids on the block and we learned how to make a hit record in the recording studio. So that when we eventually left them and went on our own, we kind of knew what we were doing. We kind of knew about picking songs, what makes a hit song and how to make a hit record. And we owe it to them. They they were the guys who uh we observed and watched and learned from. But it was a great experience. It was like going to rock and roll college, being in their office.
0: Yeah, um, and in that college, um, you, you don't yakety yak, talk back to the teacher. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, they
1: were—they were—we they were, were so in awe of them when we walked in. And the first day we walked into their office, we met the coasters, we met the drifters, wow. and they were our heroes. I mean, they were big stars already, and we were teenagers. Just crossing our fingers that we would get a shot at this.
0: Yeah, well, you yeah. got your you got your shot. You got your shot because you're signed for that first uh, album deal. What what is it? You, I guess United well, Artists. Well, we got record. signed
1: for a single deal. We made singles first. Okay. The first record we made was "Tonight" from West Side Story. Oh, nice. Uh, in conjunction with the release of the film on United Artists, and that was the label that Stoller signed us to. So. We made that record, and thank goodness it did enough business that they gave us a second recording session, and that's where we recorded a song called Dawning, and the backside was She Cried. And She
0: Cried was huge.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that broke the record. That record broke for us, and that put us on the map. And then after that, we had a couple of sessions where nothing happened, and, and the singles came out and bombed. And uh, Jay Trainer got a little impatient and felt uh, he was he was getting offers to be a solo artist, so he wanted to go off on his own, and that happened, and that's how we found uh, Jay Black, David Black. So we replaced Jay Trainer with Jay Black, and then we ran off about ten hit singles.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. So so real quick before we move to that, tell me uh do me a slightly deeper dive in, into into She Cried. Why do you think that one uh captured listeners' imagination? So why do you think it was such a big one?
1: I think that she cried was the first record where a guy wasn't singing about a girl breaking his heart, mm. but was singing about him breaking up with his girlfriend and breaking her heart.
0: Ah, so feeling and bad it, and guilty about breaking first someone heart.
1: And it kind of captured the imagination of the, you know, the teenagers, because it was like a reverse. It also was a very dramatic record. It was slow and it was a very drone oriented kind of uh, hypnotizing kind of sound and record. And, and it really was, was uh, different from anything that had been out there at the time. Wow.
0: And it was, and it was later covered by the Shangri Las. I mean, I think even Aerosmith did a version of it. Like, yeah, it, the Letterman
1: it was, had a hit with it in Europe too.
0: Who did? The Letterman.
1: Oh, nice!
0: Wow, yeah. yeah so, yeah. Mul- multiple different people had had hits with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh wow, wow. All right. Well then as you say, um, that's when Trainer Jay Trainer left, and then David Black comes in and I guess changes his name to Jay Black, because you have to. If you're Jay and the Americans, you gotta be a Jay. So, so he comes in. Yeah, we weren't and, gonna
1: be Dave and the Americans. It wasn't didn't sound it was too ethnic, Dave and the Americans.
0: Yeah, you needed <laughs> to have Jay. Yeah, it had to stay with Jay and the Americans. Yeah. Well, as a as a Jay son myself, I appreciate that. The Jay. Uh all yeah. right, cool. Well, all right. So then after that, like you said, you with the new the new lineup solidified there, then you start rattling off like a bunch of hits. And I think, um, you know, the, the very next album, you know, She Cried was the first album. But the second one was Come a Little Bit Closer. And that that title track might be might be the most famous song that Jane the Americans ever put out. But any good stories about recording that one?
1: Yeah, it was. It's funny because, you know, the, the Come a Little Bit Closer almost didn't happen. Because when you recorded in the old days, it was a three song session, you went in, you try to get three songs done in a three hour session, lay down three tracks and do three vocals. Uh, We got the three tracks done in two and a half hours. We were really well rehearsed. So we had a half an hour left over. And... uh, the guy said to us, we got a half an hour free studio time. All the musicians are here. Have you got anything that you've been working on that we don't know about? And we hadn't planned on doing it in the session. So uh, we said, yeah, we got something. And we started doing Come a Little Bit Closer, kind of impromptu in, in the studio, teaching the uh, musicians the track, to lay down the track. And we got it done in a half an hour. It was real fast. Um, Jay Black really didn't believe in the song. He didn't think it was a a hit. And he was kind of angry when UA decided to release that as the single. Because he thought one of the other songs was a much better fit. Um, And the record came out. He called the company yelling, why did you release that stupid record? We don't want to. That's, you know, why did you do that? And they said, well, it's 19 with a bullet next week. And he said, okay, never mind. And <laughs> hung up, and that's how come a little bit closer came to happen.
0: Wow! And I think it went all the way, almost top of the charts. I think it went to what, like maybe number three or something like that. Well, it
1: was three and one and two three and one. another. You know, I mean,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: It was a huge record internationally as well.
0: Do you remember which? Do you remember which dastardly songs or artists that you were trading that top slot with back then? <laughs> do you remember which yeah. one? Well,
1: yeah, some guys from England that we played a show with at the Washington Coliseum called the Beatles.
0: You may have heard of them. <laughs> yeah, I may have heard of them. <laughs> I'm glad and you it, mentioned it, the Washington it, Coliseum. A lot of people forget that that was one of their first shows, right after that one it, at Sullivan.
1: Yeah, that was their first trip here. And um, they took the train back to New York City and then did the Sullivan Show after that. Uh, but it, it's really strange that through that whole british rock revival thing that british invasion as they call it yeah there were only a few groups that got airplay that were american because anybody that was english got instant airplay the american groups were struggling we were one of them the four seasons were one of them the beach boys were one of them i think gary puckett and the union gap was one of them they were few and far between that got airplay during that That, you know, that time, 63, 64, 65, was a tough time for American groups to break. If we hadn't already been partially successful, we wouldn't have gotten airplay at all.
0: Did you you think about changing your name to Jay in the British?
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, you know what? It's either beat them or join them. We decided to wave the flag
0: and stay with it. I'm glad you uh, stayed, Jay and the Americans. Hey, real one more, one more really tidbit before we move off of come a little bit closer because it's such a famous song. Do you did you find that um you know a whole new generation discovered it when they put it in one of the Guardians already, of the Galaxy movies?
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that flipped me out. It turns out that the producer and director of that movie, James Gunn, I think his name is. Yeah, that's his name. He was a fan. And he had a group back in the 60s as well which is why he's so well-versed in all of that music. And if you listen to the soundtracks of uh, all three of the Guardians of the Galaxy, he's got some pretty esoteric stuff, but it's really good. His soundtracks are classic, and I'm uh, proud to be on that with that record. Yeah, uh, what's
0: what's really cool about that is you know there's there's literally a whole other generation that's watching it just because they love superheroes, and suddenly yeah. they're they're getting an education on all these e- either really famous classic rock songs or like you're saying some esoteric stuff, and they probably download the whole thing, and now it's on everybody's sure. phones.
1: Now it's part <laughs>
0: it's part of this soundtrack. You know? all right, exactly, exactly. Well, do you remember? What scene that coming a little closer was in? I can't remember.
1: Yeah, it's the scene where. Um, I think uh, there's an arrow flying and killing all of these people.
0: Oh, okay, yeah, in the second one.
1: A little bit closer, Place from beginning to, it's not like a snippet, it's the whole record, and James Gunn did something brilliant. At the end, he added a symphonic orchestra playing at the end of Come a Little Bit Closer that really isn't on the original record. And when I heard it, I I absolutely fell down. I mean, brilliant what he does. He's a brilliant guy, but you can tell he loves the music. You can tell how he presents it in his film.
0: Yeah, well, it was awesome. He did you all a service, and he did a music history a service by keeping that you know that song around and a lot of songs actually. It's pretty awesome.
1: He did a lot. He did some great stuff.
0: Yeah,
1: I'm looking forward to hearing the next soundtrack. You know.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I remember it now. It was like an arrow flying all through. Yep. I remember it. Um, all right, cool. Well, but back to uh, enough of James Gunn, you know, <laughs> the movies were great, but back to Jay and the Americans, um, be time for what one or two more. What's another, Oh, how, how do you even say it was, is it Jeremiah? Yeah. But stories of behind the scenes recording it. Well, actually that's,
1: you know, when Jay Black came to audition to take over the the Jay spot, um, he was, he was singing in a duo at the time with, with Marty, one of the Americans, knew him, he was a neighbor, mm-hmm. and a duo that they had played with for a long time in Brooklyn called The Two Chaps. And, and and Dave Blatt was a great mimic. He could imitate a lot of other vocalists' voices. And he heard this record by David Whitfield, uh, who was an English kind of a semi-opera guy and he had put "Caramia" out and Jay used to sing it with Marty. So when he came to audition we said, you know, sing something that shows your voice off because you know everybody's got a, a little place that they think is special for their voice. And he sang a version of "Caramia" to us because he had played it with Marty. So when, when he auditioned, Marty said, let me play you something we do. And he hit the one chord and Jay started blasting his voice out, singing this song. And it was so overpowering that we all looked at each other and said, wow, that's totally different from the other Jay. <laughs> you know, I mean, Jay painter was a crooner and, and a stylist. This was like uh, having uh, Pavarotti sing lead for you all of a sudden. right? But it was very impressive. And you couldn't help but say, that's really special. And we got behind it, we rearranged it, fixed it up and made a version of it that we sang in our live show. And the record companies all laughed at us when we said, well, we want to record this because everywhere we play it live, people go nuts. And they said, that can't be, that's not a hit. That's not a rock and roll record. You can't have a hit with that. <laughs> well, finally, we had enough hit singles that and enough clout to say we insist we want to record this record. So they let us record it. And of course, again, they put it out as a B-side just to, you know, kind of satisfy us on the next single. And what happened was we got to do, because Sammy Davis Jr. liked us, and he was guest hosting The Tonight Show. The Tonight Show never had rock artists on. And uh, Cordova, who was the guy who booked the show, was dead set against having anything rock and roll on The Tonight Show. And Sammy said, listen, I want to have these guys on. I said, "Now we don't have rock guys on. And Sammy said, well, if you don't let them come on with me, I don't want to guest host the show. Wow. So Cordova said, okay, you can have them on. Now, we were supposed to do the side that UA was pushing, the flip side of the record. But when we got there, we handed out the sheet music to Doc Severson for Caramia, without saying anything to the record company. Wow. And they played it, and we sang it live on the show. And the phones lit up at NBC, but with, with wouldn't stop lighting up, asking about where they could buy the record.
0: Wow, so but, you sort of flipped it at the last second yeah, on live Yeah,
1: <laughs> so the record company got smart and said, wow, we better, we better try this out. And they reversed it and flipped the record over and put out the next set of uh, you know the demos that they sent to the record companies, to the radio stations. And all of a sudden, the new release was instead of uh, the B side, which, which was Caramia, it was the A side. And that's how Caramia came to be a hit record.
0: So it was supposed to be when it's all over, but they flipped that, it to Caramia? Yeah. Wow. And, and just so our listeners know, in, Caramia is Italian for my beloved. So. Yes. Um, awesome. Well, that's a really, really cool story. And that's really cool that Sammy Davis freaking junior went to bat for Jay and the American. Yeah, Band. he
1: was our guy. He loved us. We did. We played Forest Hills Tennis Stadium with him. And that's where we met him. And he heard Jay and us sing Caramia. And he went nuts. He thought that was such a cool thing. He couldn't believe that, that you know, kids from Brooklyn were singing this song. And the way we harmonized and the way Jay sang that lead and hit those notes, he was super impressed. And so we became really good friends and hung out a lot. And that's how he got us on The Tonight Show. That's- so. Kind of our rabbi,
0: you know? Yeah, that's so cool. Did, hey, did you, you mentioned Sammy Davis Jr. Did you get to hang with uh, any of the other Rat Packs— Sinatra, Dean Martin, any of them?
1: No, we got to. Sammy was good enough for us. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'd say. Yeah. There, was a, there was a really good documentary we went, um, they made about din- Sammy a couple of years ago.
1: We went to dinner at Sammy's uh, place in, the city, in New York, and my Brit was serving dinner. So it was kind of cool that we hung out with him like that. He was a fabulous guy
0: is really really cool were there any now now you're talking about sammy davis jr is it was maybe maybe sidetracking me or maybe sparking a good conversation as far (laughs) depending how you want to look at it uh but were there any other you know sammy davis jr is a superstar was there any other um you know massive singers or i mean hell even actors or something that that just the fame of the james and the americans got you to move in circles with that that you could like you're sitting there can't believe i'm sitting here with this person Yeah, yeah,
1: we went on a tour. We went on tour with Roy Orbison. Awesome. And we got tight with him. And he also, you know, we were super impressed with him. And he was super impressed with us. I mean, it's it's a wonderful thing when you admire somebody and you get the love coming back. You know, we both were not familiar with each other. He was a Southern gentleman. And we were like the dead-end kids from Brooklyn. And we hooked up on this tour. And we would watch him in the wings every night and and he would blow us away and he would watch us every night and get blown away. Mm -hmm. And so by the time the tour was over, we were just really tight with uh, with being friends more than just musically. We just cared about each other. And so uh, to this day, we always make sure we do a couple of uh, Roy songs in our live show as a tribute to him and uh we recorded uh a big hit of his because of that crying and right that we had crying which went top 20 and we always dedicate it to roy because it's his song
0: you oh, know god the way he sang it to the cry yeah. oh man oh god yeah give you goosebumps yep yeah but uh yeah that's so that's great so yeah you you covered roy orbison's crying and i think a couple years after that you covered um this magic moment by the by the drifters and that, that yeah, you bring right. you full circle back to your right. uh okay. libra Stoller. yep absolutely and uh we
1: stayed friends with charlie thomas forever from the drifters he was a good buddy um who else did we get tight with?
0: Well, uh, Neil Diamond wrote Sunday and Me for you, but you, you released that originally.
1: Yeah, yeah, we, he wrote Sunday and Me. That was, his, that was the beginning. We, we tried to sign him as an artist when he sang it for us. And he said, "Now nah, I'm too shy. <laughs> I, I couldn't be a performer.
0: I just want to write songs. He didn't think he would make it on his own and now look at it. He,
1: <laughs> he, was, he, was, he was kind of introverted and, and yeah. kind of shy, but he found his way.
0: Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> like you got that
1: stage fright, you know?
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, hey, at least you guys got a good song out of it uh, first. And yeah. then I'm just trying, I'm looking through. I mean, you, you had a bunch more than a lot of people remember. I mean, you uh, Walking in the Rain, you did a version of that, That you know, the Ronettes famously that's did that it, version. That's
1: because we dated the Ronettes when we, we used to do the Murray the Gay show.
0: <laughs> you said you dated them.
1: We loved the Ronettes. Yeah, they were, we, we loved them. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, we just, we just, uh, lost, um, um, Ronnie.
1: Yeah, that was a big loss. She was a super spectacular girl. She had a real rough time too. She had a, she had a lot of things to overcome, but, uh, she was the survivor and she had one of the most identifiable voices. I mean, I loved her voice. You know, you, she could turn baby, into a symphony, just singing the word "baby."
0: <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Rest rest in peace. I mean that. Yeah, be, be my be my baby is just an all time Ronnie Spector or Veronica Bennett, I guess is as she used to be known. Yeah, and but, nedra. Um,
1: nedra was my girl. Who? Say again? I said nedra was my girl.
0: Ah, okay. Right. So you each bandmate dated a different member of the Ronettes. Well, that's really cool. So you went walking in the rain together. <laughs> yeah absolutely wow good stuff good stuff um and it's all who would have known that it all started with doing a west side story cover of tonight and then later you did the south pacific song um some enchanted yeah. evening so
1: you yeah. do it all well we we try not to get boxed into a you know into a predictable next record we always we just felt that a hit song is a hit song It's got to have a great lyric and a great melody. And then you arrange it however you feel it should be arranged for your particular style of singing. You know, uh, great songs always stick through. And that's the approach that we always took. And if we heard a song that we loved, whether nobody had done it before or somebody else had done it before, we approached it like it was a new piece of material and did it our way. And, and that was the formula for our success. You know, we grew up in New York where you heard there were a million radio stations and there was a Latin station, there was a country station, there was a blues, rhythm and blues station, there was a jazz station, and we listened to pretty much all of it. Plus there was Broadway theater, you know? So we were exposed to a lot of different styles of music and even though we started out snapping our fingers doing do wop we evolved into something else. We evolved into a pop group that had the influences of all the stuff we listened to. You know, there's a lot of Latin in Come a Little Bit Closer. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of Latin, even in uh, uh, Let's Lock the Door, you know, which was, which was the follow-up record. But all these records were different. She Cried um broadway show stuff Uh, we we never closed the door to anything that we thought was terrific and that was our formula and we stuck with it
0: awesome well all the fans over the years are glad that you did stick with it and 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 that you stayed jay and the americans even with withstanding the british invasion uh awesome well it's been great talking with you um before we run you know final seconds like when all of this music history that we've been talking about when all this music history is is written someday and we're you and me and all of us are long gone how do you want jan the americans to be remembered i mean, against all the other bands that you mentioned beatles beach boys etc but ronettes how how what what is your little slice of the pie you think of that made you all unique
1: um, i think it was the you know the the big big vocal with the interesting harmonies I think that we laid the groundwork for a lot of the groups that followed us. You know, like we listened when we were kids and we listened to great harmony groups, like the four freshmen, you know, guys that did brilliant stuff and and interesting stuff that wasn't the same as everybody else. I hope that, you know, studying our music for the new people that come along if if they get something from it and add it to their repertoire, like we added, you know, all of the stuff that we listened to on the radio to our making of our music, that'll be a testimonial. You know, we, we, we had two guys that we started off called, uh, well, they became Steely Dan, Donald Fagan and Walter Becker. And they came into our office and, uh, They played some songs that they had written, and we knew how good they were, and they didn't know what to do with themselves. So we signed them on and we signed them as songwriters, but you also used them as our bass player and our keyboard player. Wait, you're saying Steely
0: Dan members were in Jay and the Americans for a while? Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. We started those guys off. I didn't realize that. Yeah, Donald and Walter started off with us as our keyboard and bass player for about three years till they got to form Steely Dan. And one of our boyhood buddies, Gary Katz, took them with him to California and got them signed to ABC Dunhill as songwriters. And then nobody could sing their songs because their songs were so unique. So Gary formed a group and they they just said, if nobody else can sing our songs, we better put a group together. And they put a group together and that was Steely Dan
0: wow i had no idea well then maybe maybe our listeners learn learned a fun trivia because i had no idea that they spun off of uh being being with you all so there you go yeah. well yep. thank thank you for reeling in the ears with us here for a good half hour or whatever um it, it it's great it's uh you know to talk to someone a legend like you know i mean you guys are in the vocal group hall of fame i mean this you guys are a legendary band so this is great
1: so when you come to the show you'll hear us sing reeling in the ears because that's part of our history, too.
0: Ah, well, there you So you didn't get that idea from My Bad Joke just now. You all, you, no. were all, you already had it in the set. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. It's, it's been in our set for
0: years. Well, that's cool. And then, in, I guess, then in between the songs, you go up to the microphone, and you can tell the story about the Steely Dan guys. You can tell the story about Neil Diamond. You can tell all these stories because you've met them all. That's great.
1: Yeah, well, that's part of the fun of doing the show you know it's letting the people know how it all happened absolutely well
0: thanks for telling us at least a, a sliver of how it all happened but there's so much more material that you got to come out to the ram's head in annapolis maryland to hear all the great stories and hear all the great songs um again everyone it's jay and the americans it's going to be ram's head on august 25th two shows 6:30 and a nine o'clock show um so two times so hey thanks so much yeah, for thanks. doing this sandy this was awesome we had fun awesome well uh, we'll see you in annapolis